So we're so glad you guys are here. Uh, as Penny said, that you braved the rain. I think that is the dumbest statement ever, <laughs> that you braved the rain, that you, you went out of your house, which was sheltered, most of you into your garage that sheltered, into your car that sheltered, and then you walked, man, you guys are so brave. And so for the rest of you that aren't here, you're cowards. And so, I'm just kidding. So we're so glad that you guys that are here are here with us. And so we're in this series, uh, The Game of Life. And so we've been talking about this idea of how like sometimes life feels like a game. And when we're playing games, it's easy to tell who's winning and who's not winning and if we're winning. And then sometimes when it comes to life, it becomes a little bit more complicated. And so we asked the question the first week, what's the win? And what I mean by that is um, I'm an ultra competitive person. Most of you guys have picked up on that by now. And so um, it's always better to win than to not win. We just know that. And when it comes to life, when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our family, when it comes to all the choices that we're making, it's always better to be winning than not winning. So what does that look like? And then on top of that, we asked last week this simple question. Uh, sometimes in order for us to win, it means there's certain things in our life that maybe we need to get rid of. Things that are holding us back, things that are slowing us down, things that aren't helping us to get to where we need to be. And so what are those things? Who are those things and what does that look like? So the next couple of weeks, we are going to take those ideas and get more practical with them and more um, applicable with them. And, and so the reality is, is that all of us know there are stresses and pressure points in life. And the next couple of weeks, we are going to talk about two of those areas that if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling stressed, it probably has something to do with one of these two areas. Now, when it comes to games themselves, when it comes to playing board games or card games, when it comes to sports, uh, it's sometimes easy to recognize that sometimes things aren't going well, or maybe there was somebody that messed up. So if you're playing a board game, um, it's easy to tell, like if somebody went out of turn or someone cheated, uh, don't ever play games with my wife. She cheats all the time. And uh, she does. Our game is to get away with cheating. And so you want to make sure that sometimes there's these moments where that happens. And so what happens when these things happen in a game, sometimes there's an argument or there's a conflict that comes up and we talk through it and we resolve it and somebody walks away and they say, okay, I won that point, I won that, that argument. And so that uh, sometimes if you're watching sports, uh, sometimes the referees miss a call. If you're watching Kentucky games with me, they miss every call. And uh, there's a bad call and so there's a missed thing. And sometimes what happens if you've watched sports is that the coaches will call the refs over or they'll have to review something and they'll say, you know what, I don't think this is the way it was supposed to go. And they'll talk about it. And sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes the ref may overturn the call. Or if you watch football, it's the playoffs. Every once in a while, a coach will take the red flag and throw it out. That's the challenge flag. And they'll look at a play and the refs will say, you know what, I got that wrong. And they'll overturn the call. And so when it's in the game of life or in the, the, the games we play in life, sometimes there's an argument. Sometimes there's a conflict and it gets talked about. It gets discussed. It gets overturned or the right call gets made. And it's clear to tell who won and who didn't win and, and that you got it Right, and you won that argument or you won that conflict. And so that's easy to tell sometimes in those arenas, and maybe even other arenas, there's ways you can tell that. Um, but when it comes to your family, when, when it comes to our houses, when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to our relationship with our kids, our relationship with our parents, um, here's the thing. Sometimes you may find yourself in a situation where you feel like you won the argument in the bedroom, or you won the argument in the living room, and you might have won, but did you really? 
Did you actually win? Or is now, you know, the, the conversation's ended and you might have argued your way to the point where it's done. Um, but sometimes, if we're honest, even if we win, it doesn't really feel like we won. And sometimes what happens, we find out later, is even though that argument itself might have been won, um, it's actually just started a whole nother path that we have to go down. And so sometimes when it comes to the family, conflict is never fully resolved, and it's not always clear who the winners and the losers were. And it becomes so complicated, it can become so emotional. And part of what makes conflict within families so complicated and emotional is that we all process conflict differently, and we also deal with conflict differently. We have different ways in which we want to handle it. One of the things I do with couples when I counsel them is I very quickly get to the point where I say, okay, do you know your fighting style? Conflict is normal. It's actually the couples that tell me they never fight that scare me the most, okay? And so it's like we all fight. It's part of it. Um, but do you know how you, you handle conflict? Do you know how you fight? And there's lots of different ways um, that many of us process it. So a few of those, um, some of us in this room are what I would refer to as peacemakers. Peacemakers are people that hate conflict, right? And so if you're in an argument with a peacemaker, um, they will say and do whatever it takes to get out of that conflict, right? And they're like, if you're okay, I'm okay, right? Even if they're not, okay? And so they'll be like, if you're fine, then I'm fine. I just want to be done with this. I just want this to be over. And so sometimes those are peacemakers, all right? I'm married to one of them. And so, uh, and she's wonderful, but we just, we get what we get. And then, so there's the peacemakers. Um, sometimes there's the sulkers. You ever met a sulker? Sulkers are the people that you set down and there's this conflict resolves and they just kind of get down in their seat and they kind of get into this place and, and all of a sudden they kind of start sulking about it and, and they start kind of, you know, that they're suffering and so you see that and is everything okay? Yes, I'm fine. Are you fine? Yeah. But you know they're not really fine because of their attitude and their disposition and their body language. Then there's also the litigators. Um, I am one of these. We're the best arguers because we always win and we're never wrong, right? We always win. We're never wrong. Uh, if an argument starts, we're prepared. We've got graphs. We have charts. We have examples. Uh, if you'll pull up on the video screen real quick, we got this, you know, we've got all of these things and, and we're never wrong. And even if we are wrong, we're never going to admit it, are we? Because we're always right. And so you have those and then you have what I refer to as the screamers. You have the people that they, when there's an argument or a conflict, they just get big, they get loud, they scream, they yell. And what happens a lot of times in these situations is they just scream and yell until they wear the other person down or until there's an emotional toll that it reaches the point where the person's got nothing less. They wave the white flag and they say, I'm done. Now, I'm sure that many of you in this room, as I watched you look at each other and laugh, uh, you relate to one of these, okay? Or you are probably one of these. And that's why it can get so complicated because chances are you did not marry somebody or your kids may not be somebody that argues or deals with conflict the same way that you do. And so it gets complicated, it gets hard. And so the reality is there's lots of ways to approach conflict. There's lots of responses to it. But as we're going to see today, this unique principle that some of you maybe have never heard that the Bible talks about years and years ago and psychology today kind of confirms there's usually only actually one source of conflict. 
Now, I'm going to do my best in the next few minutes to kind of, kind of bring this thing out and kind of explain it to you. And, and let me go ahead and say, some of you are going to have pushback on this. When we think about conflict, you think there can't just be one source because we have all these different arguments and conflicts, all, all these different things and different perspectives. Um, but, but here's kind of what we're going to unpack. And so scripture talks about this. Um, and so here, here's what it says. And I'm going to get, kind of give you the bottom line from the scripture um, in case you fall asleep or get bored. Um, here's the question, and hopefully you'll be intrigued. What causes fights and quarrels among you? So what causes, and the key word is causes, fights and quarrels among you? So what I thought we would do is have a little fun in church today. And so what I want you to do here in a second, I'm going to tell you when. um, I just want you to turn to the person that you came to church with, probably your spouse or your kids, and I just want you to have like a two or three minute discussion about what causes fights and quarrels among you. You just, you just got to turn to them and you're just going to have a little honest discussion real quick. Please don't do that. I'm kidding. Do not do that. And the reason we're not going to do that is because if I was to be serious and have you turn to your spouse and say, what causes fights and quarrels amongst us, there would be fights and quarrels that would break out in the middle <laughs> of church. Because here's the thing, and we all know this. When I ask that question, your immediate response is, they cause fights and quarrels among us. They're the reason. They're the problem. And this is when James is going to introduce this idea, because that's the default. It's always to blame. The reason there's fights and quarrels in our family, the reason there's fights and quarrels with your spouse, the reason there's fights and quarrels with your kids, the reason there's fights and quarrels with your parents is because, you know, my husband, he said he would, and he didn't. Or my wife, sometimes, she's not careful with what she says, or he's so insensitive, or all she ever does is sulk around, and and, and my kids won't behave, and my parents just don't understand, and you know, my teenage daughter said she would clean up her room, but she didn't, and my kids, they just keep leaving clothes all over the floor, and we could go on and on and on with all kinds of examples and point to all kinds of reasons that they're to blame for the fight and quarrel that we're having. And maybe some of us, we come from this perspective, and, and this is me, and this is why um, today is as much for me as anybody else. Just so you know, um, we have this belief that if everybody would just sit down and do what I told them to do, there would be peace in our family, <laughs> right? If everybody would just do exactly what I want them to do at the end of the day, listen, and when it, here's the other part of this, and just so you guys know, the reason it's so easy for me to do marriage counseling and family counseling is I know what you need to do to fix your problems, now, when it comes to my house, no, let's not talk about that part, but I know exactly what you need to do. And so, another dynamic is this. Sometimes, whenever we're having these issues, and we're having these conflicts, and as long as you blame, here's what you're doing. As long as you blame others, including the people you care about and love, as long as you blame them for your unhappiness and the lack of peace in your life, you will always be unhappy. As long as you blame someone personally and you have this this position of it's him, it's her, it's them, and it's almost like you take your happiness and your peace and you hand it to them. And you say, I can't be happy and I can't have peace. Okay? And so you hand it to them and you hand it to the person that you're in conflict with. And so it's almost like, I can't stand you right now, I can't look at you right now, I can't talk to you right now, but here's my happiness and peace. 
In a stable set mind, let me ask you, how many of us would give over our happiness and our peace and our emotional state to the person we're in conflict with? And the reality is nobody would do that. And yet we do it all the time. In fact, some of you would say right now, the reason that you're having this stress and this uneasiness in your life is because there's a conflict going on at home right now with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, whatever it is. And this principle applies to more than just the home, but we were to talk specifically today about the home. So this principle we're going to introduce, um, there's going to be pushback, you're going to resist, and you may even argue with me throughout the rest of what I have to say, and that's absolutely fine because I didn't come up with this, and I struggle with this as much as anybody else. See, the reality is, I learned a long time ago, one of my professors told me in college, they said, as long as you teach from a place of weakness, you'll never run out of material to teach. And so here's what James says. James, the brother of Jesus, who writes this letter to these people thousands of years ago, which should tell us this is not a new thing. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? So there's the question. Now, When we hear this, and when we go to where we're going to go, your immediate thought is, well, there can't just be one answer. There can't just be one answer to this problem, because if I was to sit down here and bring you all up, or we were to meet in my office one day and talk about it, in your mind, there's all kinds of reasons, there's all kinds of answers to this question as to why fights and quarrels break out amongst us. And James would say, no, actually, there's just one source. There's just one source that starts all of this. There's one source that if we were to understand it and dive into it, might help us to understand and to avoid some of these fights and quarrels or to approach them from a different angle. Here's what he says. Don't they, your fights and quarrels, come from your desires that battle within you? So what James says is most of our fights and quarrels actually start with us, not somebody else. Ultimately, your conflict comes from something inside of you. And your pushback is, no. The cause of the quarrels and fights in my family is because of something inside of them and something that they've done. And James would say, no, there's always one common source, one common enemy, and one common root the fights and quarrels, and it comes from within inside of you. And what happens is this thing that's inside of you, it spills out into the other relationships and the people around you. And so here's why this is true, okay? And this is why this principle works. Because it's not just the problem in you. They have the same thing going on. We all do. We all have these things inside of us, and what happens is when you have two people that have something inside of them and you bring them together, there's going to be problems because they both have this root thing inside of them. And so he tells us exactly what it is that's the root thing inside of all of us that causes these fights and these quarrels. And here's what he says. You desire, but you do not have. So what's he talking about? What does he mean? Here's what he would say. Every conflict you've ever had starts with this idea. Every time there's something that you want. There's something that I want. Something that I want, something that I deserve. 
It's something they promised. It's something she promised. We have a contract. We have a covenant. We have a vow. The kids said they would. We had a meeting. They said they would, right? That's where we go. But he says, no, the problem is every time you enter a conflict, it's because there's something inside of you that you want. So what does he mean by that? He means that every time there's a conflict, every time your kids don't pick up after themselves, there's something in you. Do you know what that thing is? I want you to clean up. It's me. And then they might be like, well, see, yeah, okay, it's you, right, parents, right? It's them, okay? But the problem in them is they don't want to do it. It's something in both of us. And so here's where it gets dangerous is once we acknowledge this idea that most of our conflict starts with the idea that there's something inside of me that wants something, there's something inside of them that wants something, it starts internally, he says, and so, ready, you kill. Hopefully not literally, all right? <laughs> he's talking to church people, not people on death row, and so it's hyperbole, but here's what he's saying, and this is true, and you know this. Sometimes this root thing, this, this idea of us wanting something, us to be, we want to be right, we want what's just, we want what's fair, we want them to do something, we want something from them. He says, sometimes you want this thing so badly that you are willing to hurt the people you care about most in order to get what you want. Sometimes this desire for whatever it is that you want is so strong you put aside the relationship and the implications of what's about to happen because you want that thing. And let me tell you how we know this is true. I've been doing this for a long time, and many of you relate to this. I have seen parents kill their relationship with their kids because their kids wouldn't do what their parents wanted. In fact, some of you, your story is you left home at 18, 19 years old, maybe even earlier, and you left because you could not stand to be around your parents anymore. And just so you know, we're going to have a parenting series later. So we're just kind of hitting the tip of the iceberg. But, but here, here's the thing, and you should know this. Um, right now, most of your kids don't have a choice of whether they want to be around you and have a relationship with you. But when they get 18, 19, 20 years old and they move out, and they get a little bit older and they start having family of their own, they have a choice. They don't have to be around you. They don't have to talk to you. And if I were to interview the parents who were the ones that drove off that child, do you know what they would tell me? They would tell me that the bottom line was this. The bottom line of all the agony and the tears and all the frustration is they wanted their kids to do something and their kids simply wouldn't do it. And so now you've got two sets of people that both wanted something and they never could come to terms with what each of them wanted. They wanted something and they just wouldn't do it. And now the relationship is dead. Or how about this one? You ever seen anybody in a relationship, and I've seen this, where men power up and destroy a woman's self-image and self-esteem? Or maybe you've seen people belittle other people that they say they love to the point where that person has no more confidence in themselves. I've seen spouses and even families criticize each other to the point where they have no confidence in each other. I've seen parents shame their children to the point that the kids are almost afraid to be around their mom and dad. We've seen women sometimes who have such high expectations of their daughters and they just destroy them with their words. We've seen dads who their kids on the court or on the field not performed the way that the dad thought that the kids should be able to perform. 
and say things and do things that hurt the relationship. Because they wanted something from them. And what happens is sometimes if you want it bad enough, you lose perspective. And you don't understand the dynamic that we're talking about because there's this thing inside of you that you want. Sometimes we hurt the people closest to us. And here's what happens sometimes. And I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. Um, Oftentimes the thing you want from them, it's so you'll feel better. Oftentimes the things you want from them is so that you'll feel prouder. And oftentimes the things that you want from them is because you think if they'll do this, then I'll be happier, I'll be more fulfilled, and I'll be more satisfied because I want this from them. And if they can't do what it is that I want them or need them to do, here goes the problem. And do you know what happens? Here's how we defend it. Well, I just want what's best for them. I just want what's best for him. I just want what's best for her. I just want my wife to reach her full potential. I just want my husband to reach his full potential. And you lie to yourself and you say, it's not really about me. But it is, isn't it? Let me ask you something. Do you know why we hurt the people closest to us the most? Because they're the closest to us, right? It's proximity. It's the care that we say we have in the relationship. And so we hurt these people because we're close to them and we want something. And we can say it's for them and maybe sometimes it is, but sometimes it's this acknowledgement that it's something in us. And the reality is sometimes we want something from somebody so badly it has the potential to destroy the relationship. So you're telling yourself it's them. And James, the brother of Jesus, says no, It might actually be you. It might actually be something inside of you. Can you imagine what would happen in your homes if we just owned that? What would happen in our marriage if we just owned this? Hey, this conflict between us, it started because there's something that I want. And the reality is, in your heart, there's probably something that you want as well, and we're just not getting it. So he goes on. He says this. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And we're back to the beginning. So in the middle of a conflict, or as a conflict escalates or a conflict begins, what would happen if you just took a moment and you paused and you took a deep breath and you recognized part of what I'm feeling right now is I'm not getting what I want. We just did that. You know, if in the middle of an argument you looked at the person and you said, hey, I, I think what's happening right now is the reason I'm getting so upset, the, the reason I'm getting so angry about this is, you know what, I'm not getting what I want right now. And what would happen if the person looked back at you and said, you, you know what, I think part of the problem is also the fact that I'm not getting what I want either. So now we have two people that aren't getting what they want. And so it escalates, and it becomes a conflict, and it becomes bigger. And I want to make sure that everybody hears this. I'm not saying there's not a problem, and I'm not saying there's not things that shouldn't be addressed, and I'm not saying to avoid conflict, and I'm not saying that part of the problem, honestly, is them. But what if we just acknowledge, you know what, maybe just possibly part of the problem or maybe the root of the problem is me. 
Now, for some of you, you hear stuff like this, and, and you, you think about stuff like this, and you're like, man, I wish my husband was here, and I wish my wife was here, and I wish they'd bring the middle schoolers in big church this week. <laughs> there you go. Because you know what you just did? It's them. They need to hear this, not me. And isn't that the issue? Sometimes when I'm in marriage counseling and I feel like we're not getting anywhere, um, and that happens, you know, and um, again, like I said, sometimes when I hear other people's problems, I'm like, and we'll talk about this sometime, um, there's really only like four problems in the world, and typically your problem is one of those four problems. I'm not going to unpack that right now because you'll know my secrets, but um, what happens sometimes is I'm like, you know, eventually I realize through conversation what one of those problems are, and there's only four of them, and I'm like, that's enough. Here's a Kleenex. Okay, so let's talk to the rest of it. Um, so, but if it's not getting anywhere, what I'll do sometimes and some of you, I don't want to look at you right now. I've done this with you before. And so I'll, I'll draw a circle. I learned this from somebody else. This isn't my death. I'll draw a circle and I say, okay, this is, this is a graph. We all know pie graphs, okay? And I'll look at them and I say, okay, so why don't you go ahead right now and just tell me um, what percentage of the, this, the problem, this is the problem, is your fault? Do you know what nobody ever does? <laughs> nobody ever takes it from me and is willing to put their part. Nobody's ever willing to be like, you know what, 50% to me, never happen. 25%, no, 10%, no. Every once in a while, people, just to humor me, they'll be like, here's my slice. There it is. There's my slice. There's my piece of the conflict. And do you know why nobody ever wants to admit it? One reason, you really don't believe it's your fault, do you? But the reason you don't want to admit that some of it might be your fault is this. Because the moment that you admit that part of this, even if it's just this little sliver, might be your fault, you lose your leverage, don't you? And you don't want to lose your leverage. And part of the reason you don't want to admit that it's not your fault is because of this. See, here's the thing. See, Whenever I mess up, and it happens a lot, more than you would want to know, and when I mess up, um, part of what happens is when I mess up with somebody, I want them to extend grace and mercy and understanding to me. And I'm sure you're the same. And so the moment that I admit that some of this might be my fault, all right, all of a sudden, it opens up this door that, you know what, there's, there's part of this that's my fault. And if I want grace and mercy and understanding for me, then how hypocritical would it be hypocritical if I didn't offer that to you? And so the moment that we realize that part of it might be us, you know, the moment we sit down in the, the family meeting and we say, okay, so what percentage of this is you, what percentage of this is you? And, and by the way, don't do that in your living room. It's not going to help. But... Um, <laughs> What percentage, you know, if everybody drew a slice of, of the pot, see, see, what would happen is all of a sudden everybody, the temperature would come down just a little bit. Because now we all got to own a piece of this. And if I have to own a piece of it, th then it kind of changes the conversation. And how empowered you felt just a moment ago, it kind of starts to slip away. And James would say, you know, that, that's, that's, my, my, that's my point. Is this this acknowledgement that, hey, maybe part of this is me. And maybe even the root of this argument is me. That at the end of the day, I'm not getting what I want. He promised. She said. My kids agreed to. 
Now, I'm not saying they didn't, but now you're not getting what you want, and now there's a problem. You might say, well, okay, but there's other things. Like, so, so sometimes it really is them, and, and same problem though, right? I just want you to keep your promise, and you didn't. So I didn't get what I wanted. There's the conflict. I wanted you to fulfill your marriage vow, and you didn't. So I didn't get what I wanted, and there's the conflict. I want you to actually just say that you would do what you said you would do, and now there's the conflict. And it might be justified, but did it start with you just didn't get something you wanted, and now it's this thing? Or for some of us, we might say, well, in life, all I want is what's fair. No, you don't. We often say we want what's fair, but the reality is we only throw the fair card out when it benefits us, don't we? Right? It's the only time we ever play that card. We never play the fair card when it's somebody else, right? Like some of you guys, this parking lot, worst thing in the world. It's terrible. We know it. We've known it for a long time. And, and so it'll happen. I'll see you guys because it's my favorite thing to do on Sundays. Just watch you all drive around this parking lot, trying to find a spot. And, and you'll drive. And, and every once in a while, a spot will like open up and you'll pull in it. You know what I've never heard anybody say? You shake their fist at God and say, it's so unfair that somebody else didn't get this spot. <laughs> no, you feel blessed. And fairness for everybody else, forget them. So when it comes to our problems, let's not play the fair card, because it's not fair. So why are you so angry? And maybe part of the problem still is them, but it ultimately comes down to, I want something from him, I want something from her, I want something from them. And when you acknowledge that part of it might be you, here's what happens. You have to now look in the mirror, and you have to admit that some of this might be me. And then James does this, and, and he, he does this, and it's so unfair. Here's what he says. You do not have because you don't ask God. James, why you got to bring God into this? Like, we got something going here, right? Like, we're in the middle of it. So, so why, why do you not bring, why do we got to bring God into this thing we're having? And, and so here's the thing. If you're not a Christian, everything up until this point, here's what you need to know. This is true. If you would just go into a conflict and be willing to admit part of it, even if it's a small part, might be your fault, or at least it started within something in your heart because you didn't get what you wanted, it will lower the temperature, it will open up conversation and dialogue, it will work, I promise. But if you're a Christ follower, and we talked about before, part of being mastered by anything, including your anger and your revenge and your whatever it is, you're blowing up, you're yelling... Part of being by mastered by anything, the problem if you're a Jesus follower is you already have a master. And so whenever you become a mastered by this revenge or anger or this, this need for this conflict, um, it's a problem. And, and so Jesus says, the reason, or James says, the reason you don't have is because you don't ask God. And, and so here's, here's the idea. Um, before you like get into it, before you get into it with this person, before you, know, you, you blow up in this room, um, before you go down the hallway, before you in the morning write that little sticky note and put a frowny face on it, you know, before you do that, before you send that text, before you go into your kid's room and just throw the covers off and just go into your tirade, um, before you did all of that, um, has it occurred to you that, that maybe before you do any of that, maybe... Um, you should get down on your knees and, and you should ask God how you should handle this. 
And has it ever occurred to you to get down and to say, you know, God, I, I want my teenage son to make better choices. And, and God, I want my daughter to, to break up with that idiot. You know, um, <laughs> God, I, I, need, I, know, I know you created him, but maybe you just weren't paying attention that day. And before, before you do that, before you go into your rage, before you go into your anger, has it ever occurred to you to get down on your knees and to admit to God, see, part of the problem here, God, is that I want something from my husband, and I want something from my kids, and I want something from my daughter, and I want something from my wife, and I want something from my father, and I want something from my mother, and the reality is, God, is I'm just not getting it. And so before I go into it, God, help me to understand this. Help me to keep myself in check. Um, how about this one? God, is there anything in me that's out of line? God, is there anything in me that's coming from the wrong place? And how about this one? And even if it's not, even if you're completely justified in whatever it is that you're about to bring up or start or do, what if you prayed to God, God, help me approach this in such a way that the goal isn't for me to win, the goal is for us to win. Has that ever even occurred to you? Which you would say, no. Because usually when I pray, I pray at people. God, change them. God, change her. God, fix them. And so God says, you know, what if you just started with this idea that maybe just there's this little piece that might be you, and maybe even the source of it is you. And, and so James says you should take it to God, and, and then he tells us why we should take it to God, because here he says even, even when you ask, you don't get it, because why? It should come up on the screen, verse 3, um, because you ask with the wrong motives. You're not coming at this from the right place. You're coming at this from the place that you only will get what gives you pleasure, and for some of us, getting the pleasure is just about being right and about winning. It's not about resolving it. It's not about making our relationship stronger. There's almost always a selfish element in all of the fighting and arguing and conflict that we have. And so here's what he says. And this is so powerful. He says, okay, if you're, if you're a Jesus follower, um, here's all I ask is you take a deep breath. And maybe you should consider putting as much effort and energy into what God wants from you and how God wants you to handle the situation as you did in all of your planning and approaching. I mean, you've got points and charts and graphs. I mean, you've got them. But if you spend as much time asking God to examine your heart as you have at attacking them. And if so, if you allow God to grapple with what's in you, what it is you want from them, from her what it is that you think that's going to make you happy. See, sometimes we get so blinded by this that we miss. Let me ask you this tough question that we all have to ask as, as parents and spouses. Um, is there anyone in your family that's suffering because you're not getting what you want? Who feels the pressure to change? Who feels the pressure to behave? Who feels the pressure to start? Who feels the pressure to stop? Who feels the pressure to work harder? Who feels the pressure to get skinnier? Who feels the pressure to dress better? Who feels that pressure because it's something that you want? And you've communicated that I just want you to live the best life, but it's really just about you. And who is suffering because you aren't getting your way? 
And so James says, do you know why you quarrel and fight? Do you know why you have conflict? It's because you're not getting something you want. And they're not getting something that they want. And so what if in an ideal world, in an ideal family, a family where men and women who are actually seeking Jesus, they stop and there's a pause before the storm, there's a pause before the conversation, and there's a pause where they turn to God before they confront, before they start the argument, before they launch into their tirade, and they ask God just to examine them and for them to have guidance and wisdom to recognize what's in me that's causing me to feel this way. What would happen in our marriages, in our relationships with our kids, and in our households if we just started there? The good news is that every single week we get a chance to do that. So why don't we just try it now and let's pray.